0: The whole truth and nothing but the truth.
1: This week, Boris Johnson appeared in front of Britain's COVID inquiry for the first time.
2: This is something that Boris Johnson has been preparing for for about a year. I mean, Boris Johnson, not only is he the biggest star turn so far uh, at the COVID inquiry, he's also the person who founded the COVID inquiry. So it was a huge moment for him um, and a huge moment for the inquiry as well when he showed up very, very early uh, on, on Wednesday morning.
1: Irish Times London correspondent Mark Paul has been in the room with the former Prime Minister at the Inquiry on Wednesday and Thursday.
2: Boris stood up uh, to walk out of the room actually just to my left literally on the far side of a pillar from where I was sitting one of the relatives of, uh, of a dead cold victim called him a murderer very very loudly and of course he must have heard it he had to have heard it as he was walking out of the room I heard it so uh, he's conscious that, that a lot of people blame him for a lot of stuff and that this is a hugely emotive thing and the one thing that he'll be remembered for
1: In its six months, the inquiry has already heard damning evidence about the chaos in Downing Street and specifically Johnson's failure to understand the enormity of the crisis and to lead.
3: The phrase, let the virus rip, and the notion that you as a government would let the virus rip was your own
0: phrase, was it not? no, there are, I'm um, sad to say, there were plenty of people who had uh, who used the, the phrase in, in, in conversation with me. I was trying to represent a, a view uh, which was uh, sadly quite widespread.
1: This is in the news from the Irish Times. I'm Bernice Harrison. Today, Boris Johnson ducks and dives at the UK COVID inquiry. So Boris Johnson, he arrived to the COVID inquiry three hours early on Wednesday morning. I I think there was talk he arrived there before seven on the first day of his giving evidence. How was this move perceived? Was this move perceived to be a bit of a strategy?
2: Yeah, well, well, I mean, first of all, he he's trying to uh, avoid the worst of the protests. Um, um, when I I arrived at the inquiry at about about half past nine, 20 to ten, um, and uh, the first thing that you notice when you arrived is uh, is that you're greeted by the faces of the dead. And um, the, the, the faces of, uh, of of dead COVID victims are pinned to all the railings. And there's a huge phalanx of media and um, 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 loads of protesters, anti-vaxxers and also relatives of dead COVID victims. And Boris Johnson was trying to avoid the worst of that. Um, and he was trying to get in early and he was trying to look eager and, and, and he was trying to look cooperative as well, but also to avoid the worst of the protests. So look, it was very strategic by Boris. I should add that at the end of the first day when he left, He still had to walk out via the protest anyway. So um, I'm not sure he achieved all that he set out to achieve.
1: Okay, so he was sworn in and then before he answered any questions, he took the opportunity to address the room, um, to say how glad he was to be there, uh, how sorry he was for everything that had happened. But that was quickly interrupted, wasn't it?
2: Yes, um, Boris had, had, had clearly decided that the first thing that he was going to do was apologise to the nation for the mistakes that his government made and for, um, for the outcome of COVID and for how sorry he was for all of the people that died. Can I just say how glad I am to
0: be at, at this uh, inquiry and uh, how sorry I am
2: for the, the pain and the loss and, the... and just to my right, just as he began his, his, his apology, just to my right, at the back of the public gallery, um, uh, four women stood up, uh, uh, or was it five women, stood up, holding each holding a card with a word on it.
3: Please sit down or I'm afraid you'll have to leave the hearing room.
2: And what it spelt out was, the dead can't hear your apologies.
3: I'm sorry, if you don't sit down, I'm going to ask the ushers to get you to leave.
2: Um, and, and they stood there silently holding these cards up um, and Boris Johnson glanced over his right shoulder and he saw them um, and then he looked away. So Boris's media team and Boris's people around Boris had basically um, suggested beforehand that he would apologise. So so everybody knew he was going to apologise. This was pre-planned by everybody. As soon as he started, they kicked in with their protests, which took the the impact out of his apology. Um, and uh, and they were all asked to leave so yeah, it began with a disruption
1: We were very quiet, very dignified we've been here lots of times we always remain quiet Um, but it's very difficult to, to hear an apology from somebody who doesn't mean it yeah. um and so as i was leaving i said i don't accept your apology." not at all i don't believe it. now while this is the first time boris has appeared before the inquiry it's not the first time we've heard his name um his colleagues have been before the inquiry already how would you say he has been portrayed by his colleagues who've given evidence so far
3: I think I'm right in saying that the Prime Minister at the time gave up science when he was 15.
2: And I think he'd be the first to admit it wasn't his forte. Some of his colleagues have portrayed him and his operation, I suppose, in quite a negative fashion. Some of them um, from different motivations. For example, Dominic Cummings, who was his chief advisor, portrayed him as this kind of a trolley figure, shopping trolley figure who veers off all over the place, uh, is incapable of making a decision and needs to be babysat.
3: The term you used and his cabinet secretary used and his director of communications used and other officials, no doubt, about his propensity to...
0: Pretty much everyone called him the trolley, yeah.
3: ...change direction.
2: Some of his scientific advisors, uh, his chief scientific advisor and his chief medical officer, um, Chris Whitty and, and, and Patrick Vallance, um, portrayed him as, uh, as somebody who didn't have a firm grasp of details um, and who didn't really understand the details. Some of his Members of his office, like his private secretary, for example, who would have written notes about various things that Boris had said, I suppose inadvertently portrayed him as quite callous with some of the messages that they had recorded that were put in, in evidence. But overall, uh, when you pieced together all the bits of evidence from his office staff, from his medical advisers and from some of his political colleagues, a picture was portrayed of a chaotic Boris Johnson who was completely unsuited to this type of crisis, at times completely unwilling to accept what was in front of him. And that's really what comes with Boris Johnson. I suppose that's the stereotypical view of Boris Johnson is that here's a man who comes with a lot of drama. And, and all of the other um, um, evidence that was given by people before Boris Johnson portrayed him as, as as the king of this drama.
3: The general theme of lack of leadership, chaos, if you like,
0: is one that you agree with. Yes.
1: The inquiry was set up to examine the UK's response to the pandemic. Many countries have had inquiries. Ours hasn't started yet. Um, It's essentially trying to get to the bottom of how and why certain decisions were made. In his first day of evidence, Boris was asked about not taking the pandemic seriously enough in the early stages. And that was despite what was happening in Italy and China, for example, What was his response to that really direct accusation?
2: I I suppose you've got to go back really quickly and just remind yourself of the time that this was. I mean, he had just had something... The general election victory he had managed to get essentially get his his brexit legislation through in, in a sense he was, he was he was making the charge that he had gotten brexit done even though he didn't um, and 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 he was getting ready in in his Churchillian kind of or pseudo Churchillian way to change Britain and to lead it onto the, the sunny uplands and then suddenly out of nowhere um, came this pandemic which ruined all his plans so he was portrayed as uh, as leaving the whole thing up to Matt Hancock his health secretary early on the first five COBRA meetings, they call it COBRA. It's like a, a cross-depart, cross-governmental crisis committee that can meet for all sorts of different things uh, in Downing Street. The first five of those meetings about the pandemic weren't chaired by Boris Johnson. They were actually chaired by Matt Hancock. And um, Boris Johnson was portrayed as not reading the minutes from a lot of the meetings. And yeah, he was he, he, he was portrayed as being far too hands-off and, uh, and being far too dismissive of the whole thing. Even when data... It uh, was rolling in from um, from Italy uh, when it locked down during February. Um, and, and the data that they had from China, and um, where they knew how transmissible the virus was, they knew how uh, and how contagious it was. They were, there was evidence rolling in that some of the scientific advisors believed that it was probably spreading through asymptomatic people. And Boris Johnson still wasn't really fully engaged with the whole thing. He defended himself in that he said that he trusted Mac Hancock, that he was still keeping an eye on it, and that when he realised how serious it was, that he stepped in. But look, it didn't yet. Yeah, it didn't look great for him. It looked like he uh, he wanted there were pretending as if he wanted to be in charge of anything else. Apart from the pandemic at that stage,
0: and um, I mean, you know, just so you know, I, I, I look at all this stuff in which we seem so oblivious with that, with, with horror now. I mean, we, we we should have we should have have tweaked. We should collectively have tweaked uh, much sooner. I should have twigged.
1: Now, you say that, you know, when there's Boris, there's drama, but there wasn't really in the first day of, of his testimony to, to the inquiry. He was very calm. There was none of the finger pointing. There was none of the hair ruffling. There was none of these dramatic sort of ludicrous kind of gestures he usually does. But he, he did become quite emotional at times. And maybe that was slightly unexpected. How, how, how was that received?
2: yeah there was one moment in particular it was it was actually just before lunchtime and um, and he was being questioned by hugo keith who is the inquiry's lead counsel who's also a criminal barrister so can question in quite a you know he's quite a he really presses uh, witnesses and he was pressing boris johnson on the notion of behavioral fatigue and at one stage quite early in the pandemic and before when when britain was dithering over whether or not to lock down early march end of February, early march Boris Johnson's scientific advisors were advising him that actually if you lock down too early people will get tired of it and they'll stop cooperating with it and it's called behavioral fatigue and what Hugh O'Keefe was saying to Boris Johnson was like look if you had not listened to these guys about behavioral fatigue and if you had locked down earlier looking at the data that was in front of you if you'd chosen to do it lots and lots of lives could have been saved couldn't they couldn't couldn't you have locked down earlier in fact he was saying you know not this many people had to die Boris and Boris Johnson momentarily became quite overcome, I thought, with emotion. Um, his voice began to crackle. He started to talk about 2020 as being this tragic, tragic year. Um, and he looked very confused. He looked very flush. And his voice started to waver. And, 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 and he really did lose his composure. He looked like he was about to burst into tears.
0: We have to be realistic about 2020. The whole year. That whole tragic, tragic year. We did lock down. But then it bounced back after we'd done that.
2: It didn't look staged to me. It didn't look. Um, it didn't look like it was the type of thing. Unless he is some sort of a complete Oscar-winning actor, it didn't look like the sort of thing that you could just. He wasn't just turning on the waterworks in a poor me um, way. He 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 really lost his way. And Baroness Hallis, chairperson of the inquiry, then stepped in and called lunch um, because she could see that Boris Johnson was becoming quite uh, unsettled by the whole thing. Look, it, that, that was that was where he really showed a moment of true emotion there, I guess. You know, I mean, nearly a quarter of a million people died in in Britain's pandemic response. So uh, I I guess he felt the weight of all of that on his shoulders at that moment.
1: So apart from sort of the big picture issues, there were also very specific moments during that time that was mentioned. And and, and one of the most memorable moments from Johnson's COVID response was this questionable decision to go to the hospital in London, the Royal Free Hospital in London, and shake hands with patients.
0: I was at a hospital the other night where I think there were, a few, there were actually a few coronavirus uh, patients and I shook hands with everybody, uh, you'll be pleased to know, and, and I continue to shake hands and uh, uh, I think it's very important that we, you know, you know, people obviously can make up their own minds. I think that Matt has said that people must make up their own minds, but I think the scientific evidence is, well, I'll hand over to the, to, to the wash, experts, but, wa- but wash our, judgment, our
2: judgment is wash. Uh, washing your hands is the crucial thing.
1: He was quizzed on this as well. What did he say?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, um, he he said two things. The, the first thing is that nobody told him not to do it. But the second thing he said was, look, I shouldn't have done it. I know I shouldn't have done it. I shouldn't have done that in retrospect. And um, I should have I should
0: have been more precautionary. Um, but I wanted I, I wanted to be encouraging to people.
2: And it fits in with this view of Boris Johnson of, of of this self view that he has of, of a kind of a churchilling, rallying kind of a figure, you know, come on, troops, let's all pull together kind of a person. And he said he went to the hospital and he wanted to shake hands with people. He said oh basically he said I wanted to make them feel good. But well, he goes, but look, looking back on it now and even looking at the data that we had at the time about how the virus was being transmitted, he says, I should I shouldn't have done that. He was a little bit sheepish. was at the same time you know, being at pains to point out that nobody had told him not to do it, and um, um, so it was a very Boris moment, and um, um, you could kind of see that that you know he probably believed in what he was saying, um, um but um, but yeah, I mean, uh, uh, very early on in the pandemic to be walking around shaking people's hands in a hospital, it didn't look great, did it?
1: Well, now the inquiry has already heard about the toxic workplace in Ten Downing Street, and of course that was brought up again on, on the first day of Boris's evidence. What did Boris say about that? He was the he was the leader. He was the top of the tree. What did he say when he was confronted with evidence, including WhatsApp messages, showing quite extraordinary clashes among staff?
2: Yeah, he uh, he used a phrase which uh, which caught my ear, and um, which he said he said, "Look, I try to encourage a disputatious culture um, in my office." What he was basically saying, uh, and, his, and his response was, was like, "Look, on WhatsApp." and and, and on private messaging services like that, where you don't expect the stuff to be made public. Sometimes you will say things and that you wouldn't say in public and it's not necessary, it can be completely taken out of context. And if he goes dark humor or sarcasm, you know, when you look at it afterwards, seems like callousness. he said, you know, he said, he said people, a lot of the messages and the toxic messages and so on, he goes, he goes, really what they were, were symptoms of the anxiety that people felt at the time dealing with this massive pandemic, this thing that nobody had ever dealt with before in modern politics and not really knowing what to do. Um, And he says, and and I also encourage the culture in my office of of people challenging each other, this disputatious culture, which I think he almost had a smile on his face when he said that. So yeah, look, he tried to pass it off as, we never thought this stuff would be made public and people say things on whatsapp and um, and that they don't really fully mean i suppose look, some people might have an element of sympathy for that world view but you know you know in my whatsapp messages i'm sure i say things but look i don't run a country right and and and, and i think when you run a country you can expect pretty much anything or everything that you say and um, and um, um, to go for the public at some stage he did make particular reference to one phone call that he made to somebody to apologise, um, uh, to somebody who was referred to in very, very, very highly derogatory terms by one of his advisors in a WhatsApp group that he was a member of. Um, but apart from that, uh, he basically shrugged his shoulders and said, look, this is what happens behind the scenes. Like it or lump it, it's nothing to be proud of, but people talk like this.
1: So the COVID inquiry was able to access a huge amount of WhatsApp messages, except, except some messages, from Boris Johnson's phone. And apparently, these WhatsApp messages are lost. The, the, they were between January the 31st and June the 7th, which the most crucial time in the early stages of the pandemic. How did he explain these going missing?
2: First of all, he never handed this phone. So these were all on his old phone. Right. So Boris Johnson has an old phone and a new phone. So Boris Johnson's old phone contained... Um, um, a lot of messages and a lot of detail in relation to very early on in the pandemic stuff that would be absolutely crucial to the inquiry and um, um, he didn't originally hand his phone over to the inquiry because he said that it, he was afraid that if he turned it on um, that he would he would be told by technical people that he would lose all of the messages and that <laughs> um, um, basically that it would look he was ducking and diving a little bit to try and uh, that, that's a perception but eventually it appears the messages were lost boris johnson's explanation was that something to do with in his words the app going up and the app going down
0: somehow uh, not like it, it, it automatically erasing all the things uh between that date when when it went down and the moment when it was last backed up so i I can't give you the technical explanation, but that's the best I'm able to
2: get um, um, meant that all of the messages got lost, and his technical people couldn't um, couldn't retrieve them. and um, So what Shigo Key said to him was that, look, the technical report that we got from your solicitors actually suggests that there was a factory reset done on the phone, and, and that's what happened to the phone. And Boris Johnson looked at him a little bit quizzically, and with the factory reset, I've never heard of such a thing. What is it? What's a factory reset? With a slight smile across his face. and um, But look, I suppose the long and the short of it is Boris Johnson's position is that a lot of the messages that he sent on the that phone during that period, the inquiry has anyway, because obviously those messages have to go somewhere, um, and those people have sent their messages in. But quite curiously, Rishi Sudak, the current Prime Minister, who will probably give evidence next week, he said that he hasn't kept a lot of his WhatsApp messages either. So the, the one twosome, if you like, the one duo exchanging messages during this time, whose messages we probably won't have is those messages exchanged between Rishi Sunak and Boris Johnson. And, And those probably would have been the most interesting of all to see.
1: So, Wednesday broke for lunch. Boris, very emotional before the break, came back in the afternoon and he was reminded of something he said to his former private secretary.
3: Private secretary Imran Shafi recorded in his notebook, you said, we're killing the patient to tackle the tumour, large people who will die. Why are we destroying everything for people who will die anyway soon? Bed blockers. Is that not indicative of an absence of consistent position by you and a clear decision that on the basis of the scientific no. advice that you had received these
2: stringent interventions were necessary
1: how did he respond to that
2: yeah this came from a note that his private secretary wrote on the side of a document Um, and and quoting something that Boris had said. It wasn't a text message or anything that was directly from Boris Johnson. Um, And then this piece of, this document was put into evidence and it was put up on a huge big screen in the inquiry room and for everybody to see this handwritten scrawl thing in the margins about this thing that Boris said. And, And Boris Johnson's explanation for it was basically, look, if I said such a thing, he said, I said it in the context in my own dark humor way, and that what it, what it shows is the awful choices that we faced as a nation at the time. He said, um, and that, that no matter what we did, somebody somewhere was going to feel the pain, and that and and that what this represented was that every choice I faced was a terrible one. And he says, and, and I faced terrible choices every single day. And he says, this if I said such a thing, I think the, the phrase that he used was it, it reflected the agony of the decisions that I had to take. He said, and 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 that's what explains it.
0: And the appalling balancing act that I had to do throughout the pandemic. And in order to to drive down the virus, to stamp out the virus, you, you have to do things that are going to be very damaging in all sorts of other ways.
1: Mark, on Boris's second day giving evidence, he was questioned heavily about his decision to, and let's quote him, let the virus rip. How did
2: that go? Yeah, so this notion was uh, was 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 put to uh, to Boris Johnson by Hugo Keith, um, the inquiry senior counsel, and you know, while he was doing that, Boris Johnson was shaking his head and he said that it was a load of rubbish, um, and uh, and he denied um, that he wanted the virus to rip through. Uh, the population, and that you know that he didn't care that that older people and um, would get it. He did admit that the phrase had probably come up in discussions in, uh, in in Downing Street, but he completely denied any suggestion that he wanted to let it rip through older people, you know by implication that he was in some way callous. Uh,
0: uh, what I'm what I'm saying is that this was a phrase in common uh, parlance at the time, and and, and, and remains so.
1: In another emotional moment, Boris recalled his experience of being in intensive care with the virus. What did he say about that?
2: Yes, yeah, so on day two, then um, um, Boris Johnson had another you know moment of emotion um, as he was giving his evidence, um, and it, it referred to uh, uh, you know whether or not um, um, he really cared about what happened happened to uh, to people who got a virus. People forget sometimes that Boris Johnson himself. Um, became very very ill with the virus and um, during the first wave in Britain and he referred to this uh, in his evidence uh, to Hugo Keith and um, he said that you know when he went into intensive care himself that he noticed a lot of the people around him were you know they weren't all older people I mean a lot of them were middle-aged men just like him and he said that you know some of those people he knew looking around that some of those people were going to make it out alive and others weren't and his voice was beginning to crack at that stage and there hadn't been a suggestion from Hugo Keith to to borrow Boris Johnson, that, you know, you, you didn't really care that much about the virus. And Boris Johnson got quite emotional responding to that. He said, of course I cared. Um, and, and he said, then he knew then from experience just how awful and, and, uh, and brutal the, the, the COVID virus could be.
1: And finally, Mark, there was no escaping party gate, was there?
2: Yeah, so party date was always uh, always going to dominate uh, day two of Boris Johnson's evidence. And um, I suppose it'd be wrong to say that he was completely defiant about it, but he wasn't exactly drowning in contrition. He spoke about, um, you know, the fact that there was 126 fixed penalty notices um, um, handed out to staff in uh, in Downing Street for transgressions of their own uh, virus regulations. He apologised for that. But, you know, uh, I I think his, his, his position where he had to hold his ground a little bit, I think a lot of that comes out of the fact that he held a similar position um at the official inquiry into party gate um, which of course was carried out by uh, by Sue Gray um, and then a civil servant who is now, of course, the chief of staff uh, of the Labour leader uh, at Keir Starmer. Um, so um, he was questioned more about partagating later on in the day um, by, a, by a barrister for families uh, of COVID victims in Northern Ireland. Um, and, uh, and and she asked him, you know, I mean, could you not have done more to stop this? And what he said was, you know, really, there wasn't a hell of a lot more I could have done. Um, he said that the, uh, the rules were supposed to be flexible and uh, uh, that, you know, uh, when people transgress that they had done so inadvertently
0: but you didn't care that much i i did care and to say that i didn't care about uh, what was happening uh, generally is uh, the complete opposite of the truth
1: so after boris at the inquiry was there anything clearer uh, that you know was anything clarified did he deliver on anything was was there an aha moment that he was saying oh well that's why that happened because Boris did this or is what what's the point in a sense
2: this is maybe this is quite a kind of a, a cynical view looking at how he performed I actually thought on day one certainly I thought Boris actually did okay um, Hugo Keith didn't really land a clear punch on him in the way that you know, when Matt Hancock, for example, gave his evidence the previous week, there was a lot of aha moments with Matt Hancock, where you were like, "Oh, come on!" And um, Boris Johnson ducked and dived all the way through. And um, Hugo Keith was, I suppose, bobbing and weaving with him and, and 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 trying to get him, but he didn't really get Boris Johnson on anything. No matter which way you slice it and dice it, he didn't. Uh, there wasn't a huge blow landed on him um, in the room, but in the minds of the public, I still think. You know Boris Johnson has come from the back of the field. He still is, and um, there's still a lot of people who have it in for him. You could hear it in the boos out there in the street. And for a you know a, a politician who sees himself as a man as a man of the people, this is this is important. How he's viewed by ordinary people is important. Uh, and 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 as I said, Partygate and 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 his COVID response, that'll define everything that he's done. It'll overshadow everything for Boris Johnson.
1: So, Mark, what what next for the inquiry? Uh, How long more is it to run? What are going to be the big, big days?
2: Well, the current module ends on December the 14th. Of course, the inquiry now is done with Boris Johnson, um, but there's still one more dramatis persona uh, left uh, to be done, and that's Rishi Sunak. Um, And and, and so Rishi Sunak uh, is expected up next week, and, and it'll be interesting to see what happens there. And Rishi Sunak... Um, is expected to come under severe pressure for um, an initiative of his called Eat Out to Help Out. Um, which was when Rishi Sunak was Chancellor of the Exchequer, and um, um, late in the summer of 2020, he came up with a scheme where he basically subsidised British people to go out to the pub or or go out for dinner in restaurants, and um, and as a way of bringing the hospitality back to life because it was under pressure. That is seen as having contributed to a huge second wave of COVID in Britain. It's clear that the, the inquiry is going to focus on that. So Rishi Sunak, who's got a lot of stuff on his plate already, he will go in. Uh, next week and, and and that's where next and then there are further modules um, um, um then in the tribunal this is this current module is about the the, the political and governance aspect of it so um, I'm not quite sure to be honest with you when the tribunal or when the inquiry will report you know Britain will have its its answer I suppose to what happened with COVID a lot earlier than Ireland's it seems.
1: Now, you mentioned there that Rishi Sunak has a lot on his plate and it, it looks like his job as Prime Minister is now on the line. Can you give us the latest updates on that? What happened?
2: Yeah, so what Boris Johnson was giving evidence on the second day um, and Rishi Sunak was having his own um, and, and dreadful day in Westminster. Um, he called, a, a, basically it's about immigration, that uh, that old canard that the Tories have been ripping themselves apart over for years and years Rishi Sunak, Immigration Minister resigned on Wednesday night on Thursday morning. Uh, Rishi Sunak called a press conference uh, to try and defend new legislation that he, uh, he wants to bring in to try and deport uh, asylum seekers who arrived at Britain illegally to Rwanda. Um, um, so he has a vote on this uh, next Tuesday, which he's trying to get through Parliament. Um, and it looks like at the moment he's going to struggle to get the numbers to get the legislation through. So that puts his position as Prime Minister and as Leader of the Conservative Party actually in true Peril, because uh, if he can't get legislation through Parliament on, you know, what's probably one of the biggest issues on his political agenda, immigration, um, well, then his legitimacy to govern Britain really has to be called into question. So, uh, big week next week for Rishi Sunak.
1: Thanks very much, Mark. Thanks, Bernice. That's it for today. For more reporting from Mark Paul from London, subscribe at IrishTimes.com forward slash subscribe. I'm Bernice Harrison. This episode is produced by Suzanne Brennan. In the news, we'll be back on Monday.